Hello, hello. Welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today, talking about Bellator 290, Bader vs. Emelianko, Part 2. This is the rematch from a few years ago. That'll be the main event. It is for the title that Bader currently holds on to. The co-main event is going to be Johnny Eblen vs. Anatoly Tokov. And that'll also be for a belt. That'll be for the middleweight championship strap. So two titles on the line, 14 total bouts. Events taking place in Englewood, California. So we are here in the United States for the American fighters. It's going to be a little bit less travel. And uh, we'll give you each fight breakdown, one fight at a time. Our favorite pick to win each fight. Some prop bets. I'm a little hesitant to get too far in the prop bets because Bellator depends on your books. Some books don't really offer many prop bets. But we'll talk about the ones that are more, more popular or the ones that are more commonly offered, like the over one and a half and distance props, things like that. And there are one or two fights where I couldn't do as much of a thorough breakdown as I'd like to. I'll let you know when we get to those one or two fights. If you are not familiar with our channel, MMA Fight Club, we have a podcast. So most all of our video breakdowns, our interviews are available via podcast. So listen to us or subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, we've had a lot of interviews recently. So catch up on some of our stuff. We've been doing a better job of getting some fighters that are closer to their events or in the case of like the PFL, we had some fighters pre-event, post-event, whatever. Check out those interviews. Pretty cool. Trying to get whatever information we can to help you, the fans, the listeners, the even cappers out there get some more information about the fighters. With all that said, let's jump into it with the first fight in the card. We'll start with the prelim card, work our way all the way up to the main event, going from one fight at a time. Here we go. Let's jump into it. First up on the prelim card is going to be a welterweight bout. That's 170 pounds between Ethan Hughes, the American fighter from Mississippi, and Yusuf Karakaya, excuse me, from Turkey. Now, if you're on Tapology, which I am on right now, there's not much information about Yusuf. We don't even have an age on him. No height, no weight. So just a lot of uh, a lot of variables. He is one to know according to Tapology. A slight dog here. Ethan Hughes, he's 3-0, so not much more fight uh, experience, but a little more fighter information from Mississippi. 21 years young for Ethan Hughes, 5'9 height. He's at a Gracie United Amite. Uh, so looking closer at Ethan Hughes' record, who's 3-0 as a professional, he also has a few bouts as an amateur. So he's got some fight experience. Looking at my notes here on these two fighters, we like Ethan Hughes to win the fight into the distance. And that prop right now is currently aligned at plus 355. Ethan Hughes comes into the fight off of a huge upset win. He was a plus 750 underdog in his last fight. And he pulls out the upset. He did go 5-0 as an amateur, as we mentioned before. Out of his eight total fights between amateur and pro, he has finished seven of his opponents. Four of those finishes were by submission, and three were by knockout or TKO. He's finished all three of his pro fights. Ethan uses a mauling fighting style and likes to crush his opponents with ground and pound. So get on top of them, wear them out, elbows, and you know whatever he can land. Nice and ugly, right? He'll jump on the opportunity to submit his opponents as well. If an opportunity presents itself, he'll take it. He lacks clean boxing and leaves himself open to counters. Now, Yusuf's long legs and background in striking could give Hughes a problem. And Yusuf... We saw some film on him. The dude's like super tall, long, like the Egyptian mummy. 
I mean, he's got like Middle Eastern features. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to make any racist statements. I'm saying it in a positive way. The dude's like very tall, super like long legs and everything. So while the fight's standing, heels will need to be mindful of the reach and striking power of Yusuf. It's safe to say, or safe to assume, that Hughes will try to minimize the amount of time that he spends on the feet, take the fight to the ground, drag down the taller fighter, yada, yada, yada. As for Yusuf, he's a tall Middle Eastern fighter from Turkey. He has a Muay Thai background. He should have a significant height and reach advantage, as we mentioned before. He's fought plenty of Muay Thai fights, though on Tapology you see that 1-0 record, so don't let that, you know, mislead you, right? This could be a matchup problem from Yusuf, though, being a tall fighter again, the striker, facing a guy who likes to grapple, likes to drag fights to the ground, likes to fight in close. The long legs and tall Muay Thai stance of Yusuf will make it easier for Hughes to take him down. It's the bottom line. This fight has too many variables to bet with any kind of conscious responsibility, let's be honest, right? The fight not going the distance is minus 185. That might be the only betting spot we have some level of confidence in. We're siding with Hughes to get a ground and pound TKO because of his wrestling and endurance. A knockout by Yusuf wouldn't surprise anyone, though. If you must wager in the fight, if you've got to put a bet down, just try to limit your exposure here. It's the first fight in the card. You know what I mean? Like, don't blow your wad here in the uh, in the pregame. You know what I'm saying? Like, slow your roll type of thing. Just about anything is possible in a fight like this. With this kind of caliber of fighters, it's just, you know, tons of variables, right? A lot of variance is, is open to happening. The spots we like the most of this fight are the under two and a half rounds at minus 150 and the fight not going the distance at minus 185. We're degenerates over here, so we will probably do something there. We'll play something. But those are the spots we like the most. And again, we're going to side with Mr. Hughes, uh, but anything's possible. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Next up, we have a featherweight belt at 145 pounds between two American fighters, at least an American-Japanese fighter who's American-born versus a traditional American fighter. Isaiah Hokett, who goes by the Central Valley Gangster, versus Peter Ishiguro, who goes by Wasabi. So these two fighters have a lot in common. If you had a chance to check out our Sunday show, they both visit us and talked interview status. We... There were some details. They actually both came on to our podcast at the same time, talked with each other. Very cordial, very nice guys. So I'm a bit biased here in terms of my interpretation of this fight. I'm going to give you what I know. I have interviewed both these guys over the last, let's say, 72 hours. I've talked to them both on the record and off the record. So I'm going to give you what I can give you. And sometimes you have to forgive me, but I can't tell you everything. I do ask athletes off the record certain details. I will inquire about, let's say, for example, recent injury history. I'm not big on asking those questions on the air because I don't want an athlete to be in a situation that they feel uncomfortable with. But I'll ask an athlete off the record, and if they give me a pretty straight answer and I tell them, I won't say anything. And I mean that, I won't say anything. Will it affect potentially my betting spots? It will, and so all I can tell you is just pay attention to sometimes when I feel like I may have an idea of something without telling you why is I have an idea of something. <laughs> With all of that said, there is nothing about this fight that I have any of those ideas about. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there that I do have a chance to talk to both these guys this past few days, and the conversations were 
were awesome and uh, also very informative. And some of those conversations are available for you guys to check out via podcast. The interviews are up there. That was last Sunday night on Midnight MMA. Every Sunday night, midnight to 2 o'clock a.m. Eastern, we have athletes coming through, different guests. And Anyway, back to this breakdown. So Isaiah Hokit and Peter Ishiguro. Not much experience. They're both two and one. Yet Hokit's the minus like 550-ish favorite. And Peter's like around plus 400 underdog. Now, Peter hasn't fought in you know a few years. That's the big issue here. Uh, we'll talk about that. Isaiah, Isaiah, excuse me, Hokit doesn't have much experience either, but has fought more recently. They're both former Division I college wrestlers. Ishiguru, I forgot because we talked about this. He is, how old is he? <laughs> he told me his age, but he's, let's say, I, I think about 30 years old. So a few years older than Hokit. Um, and Hokit here listed on Tapology is 26. He's 5'10. Peter Ishiguru is a little bit shorter at 5'6. Um, Isaiah Hokit doesn't look 5'10, by the way. <laughs> I think he's a little shorter than that, but whatever. Isaiah also has a reach advantage, and he's from Team Body Shop MMA, whereas Peter Ishiguru is from Smash Gyms San Jose and Y. Karu. So those are our basic parameters. They're coming in here both 2 and 1, as we mentioned before. For Hokit, interesting run to where he's gotten as a professional. He's got all three fights so far in Bellator, no amateur experience. So how did that happen? Well, we talked about training partners. It just came down to him training with some pretty high-profile guys that were in the Bellator organization already, and they mentioned his name. One thing led to another, and boom. <laughs> you know, my, my friend of a friend type of thing, and he got in there. As for Peter Ishiguru, interesting story with him. This is a very intelligent dude, like an Ivy League, high-level master's degree, like robotics, engineering, now in a management role, full-time job, father, recently became a father, his wife and him, has his proverbial shit together. And I say all this because even though people are going to look at this guy not fighting in the last few years, you know, when I spoke to him about this, it wasn't as if he was avoiding the fights. It just came down to scheduling. COVID took everyone's 2020, 2021 away and came down to just life. You know, him and his wife having a baby, they're going through the pregnancy, COVID, whatever else. He has to take time away from the gym, doesn't want to get sick, doesn't want to bring anything home to her. So it was just real life stuff. And he, he has a full-time job. He has a career. I would look at this as something that it's a side ambition. He does care about it. Mind you, there is another detail. His wife is like a Muay Thai professional fighter too. She's had to curb some of her career as well because they had a baby and they're just life. Okay. So I put this in perspective as to this is the biggest glaring red flag for most people. It's like, oh, you know, the guy hasn't fought in a while, whatever. Okay. He is still two and one overall. He does have some amateur fighting experience. He's very well-rounded, very smart guy. This money line is, it's a trap. Okay. It's a trap. When I spoke to Isaiah Hokit during our Sunday show, I told him one of the things that I was not sure if I could tell him because I didn't want to offend him. But when he fought against Corey Samuels two years ago, we bet against him in that fight. And he was like a plus, I'm sorry, he was like a minus 500 or minus 700 favorite in that fight. His first ever pro fight against a guy in Corey Samuels who, yeah, not, not very good record, but had a lot more experience. 
And I told Isaiah we bet against him in that fight because of that situation. Well, here we go again. This fight, in my humble opinion, it's two Division One wrestlers. Remember, these guys wrestling-wise, even according to their own statements when they spoke with each other, they don't necessarily see the edge there, per se. So if that if that's not going to be a significant edge for either guy, this plays out in a different way. And in that case, hey, man, give me that coin, start flipping it. And I think you have to consider betting on Peter Ishiguru. And I want to qualify that. At plus 390, that's a nice spot. But what about at plus 1200 Ishiguru by a close decision? I mean, I'm just putting it out there. This is probably going to be a match where let's just guesstimate half the fight is a grappling fight. Of the 15 minutes, we see seven and a half of these minutes in clinch position. Wrestlers with not super evolved striking ability. So could we see a good decision? Yeah. Then it just comes down to who had more control time, whatever. I will say that the narrative supports Hokit winning. It seems like the P I'm PFL. Bellator really likes him. So I can go on and on about this fight. I talked to both guys quite a bit about it. I'm going to say to you what I said to them. My prediction is they're both going to win. <laughs> no. On a serious note, the spots we like for this fight are the fight going over one and a half rounds. And the fight going the distance. What are the prices on those props? I thought I listed them here somewhere. So the fight going over a round and a half is minus 105. That is lovely. I don't know why the market... I mean, I guess if you look at Hokit's career so far, none of his fights have gotten to like even round three. Ishiguro has been a decision in two of his three pro fights. Uh, you know, Whatever. Call me crazy. I see this fight going over a round and a half. I see it going the full distance. That's plus 185. Decision win for Hokit's plus 250. And a decision win for Ishiguro is plus 1200. I'm going to put 10 bucks in that plus 1200 because if you win, you win $120. It's just pretty simple. Two guys, smaller, lot, not a lot of experience, not a ton of striking experience. Um, Dare Peter Ishiguro come out and maybe be even a little bit more like patient, hesitant, a little ring rust, feel things out. So yeah, I, I have a, that's my read. I like Ishiguro to pull off the upset here in a closely contested wrestling bout between two very good fighters and uh, may the best man win. That's the breakdown, guys. Good luck with this one. Up next, we got a Bantamweight fight at 135 pounds between Jornel Lugo and Jalen Bates. Before I get into this fight, this one is one of the most exciting fights in the card to me. That's my humble opinion. They're so evenly matched. This Jelly Bates kid is young, only 26 years old. Lugo's only 27. Feels like he's older, but they both have bright futures, not just in Bellator, even maybe beyond Bellator. Well, I'm not saying beyond, but they have bright futures in mixed martial arts. They're very evenly matched. And before I even get any further this breakdown, it's it's a shocker that Lugo's a minus 350 favorite. Um, I think that Bates has plenty of opportunity to win this fight. If you're looking for underdogs to consider, here's one to consider. Um, gonna pick Lugo to win the fight. I think Lugo wins the fight by decision, which is plus 120. Some details here. Bates is 6-0 from Las Vegas, 26 years old, 5'10 in height with a 73.5 inch reach. He trades out of American top team. 
in Portland. So if he's from Vegas, but not living up in Portland, he's on the West Coast. As for Hornell or Jornell, A1 Lugo, 81 overall, so a little more experience. A big favorite here around minus 350 from West Palm Beach, 27 years old. Five foot nine with a 72 and a half inch reach, and he's out of combat club. So height and reach wise, a, a slight advantage there for Bates, but not much of a factor. Here are my thoughts. This is a band and weight bout. It should have a lot of action. So you're talking about two, you know, lighter weight guys, high energy, high pace, very good endurance. The smart money is probably going to be on Bates to win, though. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you're betting on someone like Lugo, who is a good fighter, who has fought the tougher competition, but you're betting him at this price tag, you know, the bookies have got you by the balls per se. You know what I mean? Because what are you going to put up? 350 bucks to make 100 You know, it, it's just a, a tough spot here in a fight where Bates is, he's game. Okay, he's game. Bates should not be this much of an underdog, period. <laughs> okay. The Maryland is bound to throw some people off. So I feel like from a parlay perspective, we're going to see people throwing Lugo into parlays and being like, oh, you know, he's three and a half to one favorite. He's got more experience. It's a trap. Though we like Lugo to win, he should not be a three and a half to one favorite, as we just said, especially against a guy like Jalen. And for that reason alone, we're forced to be creative about how we bet in this fight. And we're forced to consider ways to bet on Bates. Now, Lugo's a very athletic southpaw with only one loss in his record. That loss came at the hands of Danny Sabatello last year. Of course, Sabatello is one of the top, if not the top, contender in that division. The loss cost Lugo a chance at a title, or at least a title shot, as part of the Bellator tournament last year. So when he lost to Sabatello, Sabatello went on. He fought the current champ, and Sabatello lost. So Lugo's been right there. like He's on the cusp. Now, the loss to Sabatello was very straightforward. It wasn't a complicated fight. He didn't get like a flash knockdown or something of that nature. He just simply kind of wrestled for 15 full minutes. And if you know anything about Lugo, it was a bit of a surprise because Lugo's a good wrestler. But Sabatello is a menace. He's got an unreal gas tank. He should be tested. <laughs> just joking. And he basically... You know, he wins that fight against Lugo 10 times out of 10, especially the way he he won it. He just dominated Lugo on the ground. So what does Jalen do well, by the way? Well, you guessed it. Jalen is a wrestler. <laughs> and that alone is why the money line makes no sense at all. Now, does Bates have the cardio of Sabatello? No. Is he as crazy as Sabatello? No. Is he uh, going to be maybe as committed to that ground attack as Sabatello? Probably not. So, yeah, I'm not saying he's going to do what Sabatello did to Lugo. But he does have very good ground skills, and he does commit to it. So, you know, that's a factor here. And the world just saw Lugo get beaten by a wrestling-heavy approach. Do you imagine that Bates is considering this? This is part of his potential game plan, right? So I imagine Jalen's got this in the back of his mind. It's part of the, the arsenal, right? So Bates is coming off of a blazing start to his career, right? He's young. He's undefeated. He has four submission wins in his first six pro fights. He also went 9-0 as an amateur. Wow. So, you know, that's a nice winning streak when you combine amateur and pro. He also had four more submissions as an amateur. So clearly submissions are part of his game. If they decide to wrestle a little bit, which they both can do, that's another opportunity for him to, you know, get Lugo in trouble. 
He had two TKO finishes in amateur, but doesn't have a TKO finishes as a professional. Now, only had a few fights, but maybe suggest that he's got limited striking power. Just maybe. This is more of an indicator of the way he fights, though, I believe, and not because of his lack of his power. I just think he's more committed to the wrestling, and because of that, he spends less time on the feet. You kind of get it. From the limited film we've seen on Jalen, we are very impressed. He's long, he's athletic, and still has tons of room to improve. His long body makes him especially dangerous with submissions. We're going to edge Lugo to win based on his experience, though. He's the better overall fighter, and he's got more fighters that he's got against that are tougher, just a better strength of schedule. So Lugo's faced a better competition, more experience, and he's coming off of a loss. He's never lost back-to-back fights. I think he bounces back from this. I think he learns from his last fight a little bit. He makes some adjustments. He should be prepared for the ground attack from Jalen. He should expect it. <laughs> so we're expecting Lugo to rise to the occasion here, get a solid win by decision, and get himself back in the winning column. There's betting spots that we like, though. Here's the betting spots we like for this fight. So listen closely here. These spots will cover you both ways. We like the fight going over a round and a half. That's minus 265. That is such a good spot. Parlay it with confidence. Yeah, don't play it straight up. Parlay the over round and a half at minus 265. It's a really good spot. Bates by decision is plus 570. Just find some lunch money and just donate it to the bookie. And when that hits, thank us later. Okay. Now, Lugo by decision is plus 120. I feel like that's his path to winning the fight. I don't believe these two very high energy, very good shape, young, 26 and 27. I don't believe they finish each other. I think they go toe to toe. I think it's, they both have moments. I think it comes down to who's on each other's, on top of each other for maybe moments of time and it gets close. So by decision, if you like Lugo, I think that's where you should be betting at. I think betting Lugo as a parlay piece here is very dangerous and then obviously straight up not to be recommended. So again, our favorite spot for this fight is the over one and a half at minus 265. We like Bates at plus 570 and Lugo at plus 120. We might even consider Lugo as a parlay piece if, let's say, for example, we see weigh-ins and there's like something that's just off about Jalen. But we have to see something else. This line doesn't make any sense. So for now, we're going to say stay away from parlaying. Lugo, this fight should be lined much closer. Um, and I think Bates is, he's very formidable. So that's our breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Moving up the prelim card, we've got another Bantamweight bout. 135 pounds between Darian Caldwell, who goes by the Wolf. First Russian fighter, Nikita Mikhail Mikhailov. So before I even get into this breakdown, I'm going with Darian Caldwell win the fight. This is not a popular pick. Contrary to some cappers out there, I'll tell you, I don't listen to other cappers. I do listen to other people who break down fights. You know, I've got my arsenal favorites out there that are good at what they do or just entertaining, even if they're not accurate, just entertaining. And I've heard a lot of people not on Darian Caldwell. And so either I'm going to be right in this fight, and this would be a good, accurate breakdown, or I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> so. The basics here. So Caldwell's more experienced. He has 14 plus 6, 20 total fights compared to 11. So he's 14 and 6 compared to 9 and 2 for Nikita. Caldwell is 2 and 3 in his last five fights. A slight dog here at around the plus 125 range. 
out of Deerfield Beach, Florida, 35 years old. Five foot ten in height with a seventy-three inch reach. He's out of Kilcliff FC, also formerly known as Sanford MMA. As for Nikita, nine and two overall, four and one in his last five fights. Obviously, a higher winning percentage. A favorite here, sitting currently at minus one hundred and fifty. Out of Russia, twenty-four years old, five foot eight in height with a seventy-inch reach, and he trains out of Alexander Nevsky, which is a very popular gym in Russia with a lot of well-known fighters, not just fighters over there, but just fighters throughout Bellator and even maybe some UFC fighters. It does have to be noted that Caldwell is 11 years older and, you know, 11 years is a big difference. Uh, 35 years old as a bantamweight, you're on the edge of expiring. So from that perspective, it is a bit of a concern for the agent Caldwell, but uh, he's got a shot here and by decision. So at plus 170, call it by decision, you can argue, well, just take Caldwell outright at plus 120. I, I get it. I get it. I'm just giving you that specific prediction as to how I think he wins the fight, okay? This fight might be one of the most competitive fights in the card after the fight I just broke down, which is the Lugo fight with Bates. But this one should be close as well. Uh, they're very evenly matched, and both guys like to wrestle. Darian to Southpaw with a very long frame and he's a deceiving dude because I I really enjoyed his breakdown. I wasn't very familiar with this fighter before this breakdown and this is why it's important you know watch some film, look at stats. If you can do that before looking at the money line, it's it's helpful. It's not always possible. It depends on where you're at with your schedule. In this case I had the chance of doing that. I'm glad I did cuz I walked away thinking I feel like he's got the tools to win the fight, put it this way. Not that he's the overwhelming favorite, in my opinion, but he's got the tools to win. So I saw it come out like a pick him, or with him as a slight dog. I'm like, good, this is there's value here because I think this guy's got a chance to win the fight, right? So very athletic and very tall. He'll attempt flying knees, upper body kicks, uh, head kicks. Very athletic and explosive. And I say it because he's taller. Like he's built similar to like a Neil, a Neil Magny where they're taller and longer you don't expect them to be so explosive and quick. He is. His ground skills, also surprising. <laughs> For a tall fighter, he's very good on the ground. Now, can he get into trouble on the ground and can he be reversed or could he be taken advantage of by a better grappler? Yes, he has his moments, um, but does a very good job on the ground. Using his legs for sweeps and trips and takedowns, he'll get a traditional wrestling takedown every now and then, but most of his takedowns are coming from kind of a sweep or a trip when he's using his legs. Just very smart. Most of his wins have been by decision, and that's partially because of his good endurance and also partially because the limited power in his hands. I mean, you've got to be honest. If you're not knocking people out after 20 career fights, I think he has, what, two knockouts? Clearly, his punching power is not his um, most dangerous part of his arsenal, right? He does have five submission wins, though. Both fighters are coming in off of defeats to Barzola. So they both have lost to Barzola. Nikita lost by decision, whereas Darian got submitted. So the MMA math points toward the benefit going towards Nikita. But you know what they say about MMA math, right? It's only good at what? It's like good at uh, horseshoes and grenades or some shit like that. <laughs> so Darian comes to this fight on a three-fight losing streak. Another bit of a red flag. I get it. The biggest concern we have with Darian is his durability, though. He has been finished. He has been finished, excuse me, in two of his last three fights. He's also been finished in four of his six career fights. 
sorry, four of his six career defeats. For Nikita, he's a balanced Russian fighter with an arsenal of exciting kicks. Exciting, uh, who was it fought recently? <laughs> it was the last UFC card in Brazil. It was one of the early, early fights in the, on the prelim card. Uh, I forgot this gentleman's name, but it was a Brazilian who did like a million spinning kicks in the first round. Simon Oliveira maybe was his name. I can't remember, but it was, oh man, it was tough to watch because it was such a low fighter IQ move by him. We talked about it in the, in the pre-fight breakdown and stuff. And he went up there and just kept doing it again and again and again. Uh, Nikita's got a little bit of that in his DNA. He can't just throw a normal kick. It's got to be spinning. And if it's going to be spinning, it just, it, it wears you out. And it's such a, for, for other problems, when it lands, and if it lands clean, you knock someone down. Woohoo! Highlight. So when I say Nikita has exciting kicks, there it's like a half glass full, half glass glass empty situation with how he throws his kicks. He'll attempt to do some grappling. He'll initiate grappling. Unfortunately, his takedowns they're inconsistent at best, and so he can leave himself open to getting reversed, especially by Caldwell, who also likes to do some grappling himself. Right? He has a high winning percentage. And his last two losses to his last loss was to Barzola is nothing to be ashamed of. It was by decision and Barzola's a very good fighter. There's a lot to like about this guy. And there's a lot of reasons why I can see Bellator fans. He's rushing, getting the Russian bump, you know, on the money line. So there's a lot to like about him. But he has some obvious areas that need improvement, at least in my opinion. Number one, he can be easily reversed in ground situations. He spends way too much time on his back. He's the kind of fighter who you're like, hey, can you release the body lock, dude? Let go of the legs. You need to start shrimping and getting out of there. Nah, he's going to keep the body lock on his back, play with the hands. And you're like, tick, 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 tick. So has he gotten that out of his system? Um, will that be a problem against a guy like Darian Caldwell, who's very long, sneaky good at like takedown offense, sneaky good at ground stuff? I don't know. You know, we'll see. But in past fights, he has laid on his back for too long. And then before he mentioned, will he get a little wild with his head kicks, um, body kicks, spinning stuff? Will that get him in trouble? You know what I mean? He's also displayed limited finishing ability in his young fighter career. He has three finishes in 11 total career fights. So not a high finish rate for either guy, which lends to believe this fight probably gets into like round two, round three, right? For Nikita, his most realistic path to victory is going to be controlling Caldwell on the ground and winning the war of attrition, meaning the war of endurance, right? Just simply wearing out Caldwell, the older Caldwell, right? And if you've watched past Caldwell fights, he he can look really good, man. He, he'll he be like a first round dominant, second round, and then third round, he's somehow losing the round. So it could be a war of attrition, and that would be where Nikita can get the edge. We're going with Caldwell to get back in the wing column with this fight with a decision victory. Three fight losing streak. He fought some good guys during that streak, right? He fought AJ McKee. May have heard of him. He fought Enrique Barzola, another good fighter. And he lost to Leandro Higo, a young fighter, but a young fighter with a very good, what, 20 and six or 20 and five career record. And then go back before that to 2019, 2018, he lost to Kyoji Huraguchi. So his last five losses have been somewhat recent. There are five of his last seven fights, but good competition. And that's also going to throw some people off here. The age, the losses, 
the red on the topology. But I'm here to tell you, Caldwell's got a chance to win this fight, guys. And we'll let him to win. So, expect to see a lot of grappling in this fight. It may not be as exciting as some of the other fights in this card. Might be some, you know, holding and, and grabbing and even some of Caldwell's recent fights where he's been broken up off the ground because you just kind of hold someone on the ground, doesn't do much. That could happen here. It's hard to have enough confidence on either guy to wager the money line with with like a boatload of cash. <laughs> you know, maybe a half unit on Caldwell type of thing. The spot we like the most, though, and there's only one for this fight, is the fight going over two and a half rounds. It sits at minus 195. It is a bit chalky, but a full unit there, 100 bucks returns $50. I also like it enough to parlay it. These guys are somewhat evenly matched. I like to grapple. Could something happen? Could could some craziness happen? Yeah, it's, it's a mixed martial arts fight between two grown-ass men. But low finishing ability on both sides. Caldwell knows how important, to, how important it is. Some of this clock will be chewed up. I, I guarantee you, some of the clock in this fight will just be eaten, okay, because of the way they fight. So we're on call with a win. By decision, that's our pick. Let's move on. All righty, the first women's fight in the card. It's going to be a flyweight battle. 125 pounds. The one and only Alejandra Asu Lara from Colombia versus Diana Avsaragova, who goes by Pantera, which means Panther in Russian. So international bout here in California between two fighters that are young, uh, kind of going through different things right now because Lara's up and down, very talented. Avsaragova is undefeated. We're going to choose Avsa to go over to win the fight by split decision. But full disclosure here, we interviewed Alejandra Lara last week. That interview is up available on our YouTube channel. And yeah, I'm I'm biased because a few things. Number one, she, she does have a lot of talent. It, it's a pleasure speaking with people that are as, let's say, just as full of life as she is. She's very full of life, very kind. Comes across as a very like a Native American type of soul, close with earth. She talks about her affinity for the water. And um, and she, she got off to a very young start. I think she took her first pro fight at 17 when we were talking about this. And so could it have been the last few fights where she was favored like minus 200 in the last three fights that she lost, which is kind of frustrating because we bet on her on several of those fights. Could it be that, you know, she got out the system, 28, turned the corner, and now we start to see an evolution. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. But even though our our mathematics is telling us, our analysis is telling us that Absodogova wins a close decision, it's telling us it's a close decision, which means it could very well go either way. Um, so with this fight, it's probably going to be going the distance or going close to the distance. Those will be the props we'll be most attracted to. But again, we're going to choose Absodogova to win by split decision. And we're pulling for Alejandra Lara to win because we like Alejandra Lara and she's cool. <laughs> so here's uh, here's the numbers in these two guys. Absarogova is undefeated at 5-0. and She's a slight favorite at minus 130. Out of Nart, Russia, 24 years, 24 years young, excuse me, 5'7", as is Alejandra. So both fighters are 5'7". Absarogova has a 65.5-inch reach with Lara at 69. That could play a factor. Alejandra, I think, does some of her best some of her best work. She does a good job on the ground, too. But her, some of her best work at, is at range, her kicking game, her striking. So maybe she'll have some advantage there over Diana. 
As for Alejandro Lara, who's from Colombia, and one of the only Colombian fighters, mind you, men or women, in any of the top promotions, which is fascinating because Colombia is it's a tough country. Not very big country, but tough. I guess it shows you that the mixed martial arts system there hasn't uh, hasn't developed, right? So she's been fighting out of Mexico City, but now she said she's based out of San Diego. So um, she has done some moving around. She was at Lobo MMA Team Grasso at one point, And now I forgot where she's at, but she's not there anymore. Anyway, what are my notes here say about these two fighters? So the first thought is, do not bet the money line. That's in my notes here. And why? Well, because you're, what are you gambling on? Well, you're not just gambling on the fighter who's going to win. You're gambling with the referees. I'm sorry, the the, uh, the judges. And you don't, you don't want to play with them. It's like betting against the house, right? The house always wins. You go there, play blackjack. You play some, you know, poker. You think you're going to win. You play all the numbers, you use the different strategies and stuff, but the house always wins. If not, there wouldn't be casinos. They wouldn't make money, right? In this case, I consider those damn judges like the house. You never beat them. <laughs> they always find a way to screw you. And just when you think you have the fighter that won, they'll they'll do their number on you. So in in a in a normal world, let's say you bet on Alejandro Lara, and she's plus money here, plus one hundred. And she wins by every visual account. <laughs> but then judges give her the loss. You know, what do you what do you do there? Because you did pick the right fighter. You even bet the right fighter. So, yeah, my first thought is just steer clear of the money line, guys. I, I mean it. Just stay away from it. This fight's destined for a close decision. <laughs> okay? We wouldn't be surprised if it's a split decision. We mentioned that before. Or even possibly a draw. Um, it's the case with most women's fights. They tend to go to the scorecards, especially a fight like this where... Neither fighter has very high finishing rate and they're, you know, smaller, 125 pounds, right? It's very unlikely, unlikely we see a knockdown or you don't get like stunned on the feet. That would be a bit of a surprise to me. So I don't think either fighter is going to be even in danger of getting finished at any point, right? They have a lot of similarities. They're both five foot seven in height. They're both in the mid twenties and they have similar skill sets. A win for Opsa Dagova grows her undefeated record to six and oh, and just kind of like keeps bumping her up the ladder, right? So Bellator, along with all these top promotions, they want undefeated fighters. In this case, both of them are very physically attractive. So that's that's the marketing piece of this, right? So you have two attractive mixed martial arts female fighters here. Now, meanwhile, for Alejandra Lara, another loss here, I mean, does Bellator let her go? I don't think they let her go, but, you know, it's, it's four in a row. It gets stressful, right? Um... Maybe also her sixth defeat in her last eight fights. Yes, yeah, so that'd be, you know, you're, you're getting, you're flirting with danger there. Though I think Bellator probably looks at her as, you know, again, pretty good looking, has some level of talent, has fucking competition. And as long as I guess it's a good fight, you know, why would they let her go, right? But the, but the idea that the stress is on, that is probably true. Uh, it didn't come off in the interview, but there should be some inherent stress there for her that she wants to get back to the wing column, just whatever that's worth. Um, Maybe that pressure pushes her over the top. Maybe that pressure has forced her to have a better camp and make the changes. On Based on my discussion with her, she said that she has committed a lot of time to, the, to her ground game, for example, and has made some improvements there. Not that it was bad before, but to improve in an area where she was getting better at, like take the next step. And so could we see her go for a submission here and look better on the ground? I'm hoping so for her sake. 
So as for Lara, she's a balanced fighter, does a lot of things very well. In comparison to Ivor Segova, she has fought much better competition. That's the one thing that Lara has here. There's no question about that. She's faced the better fighters. She lacks striking power, but she has three submission wins. And Lara needs to be mindful of getting sloppy in grappling encounters. That's one of my biggest criticisms of her overall fighter experience to, to, to date. She can be in situations on the ground where she'll either lose position or, or get taken advantage of because she gets a little sloppy. She also can be taken down. So a good fighter can catch her off balance when she's trying to kick them or whatever, and they can take her down with ease. And then she can spend too much time on her back, you know. Lara's on a rough three-fight losing streak. To make it worse, she was minus 175, minus 200, and minus like 220 or whatever in all three of those fights combined, like around minus 200 range. And she lost all of them. <laughs> I know because I bet on her. <laughs> and I didn't bet on her because she's just pretty to look at. No, I, I thought... I thought, and so did the market, you know, that she was the better fighter, but, you know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> no excuses. She came up short. Her loss to Sabina Mazo in 2015, that has not aged well. I, I'm not going to get all, I'm jump. I'm going to jump on Mazo here. I lost money on Mazo <laughs> years ago betting on her. I bought into the hype. Mazo had a quick flash in the pan in the UFC. It became very apparent that her skill level now, at least at this point in her career, was not ready for the UFC, and Lara lost to her. Uh, so, you know, I know this is not the UFC, but it, that is a loss that just has not aged well. And kind of, you know, I hope that when Alejandro's Lara's career is over, this is not how it's sort of remembered. The losses to Mazo, because I feel like she's got so much more potential than that. And she's young, you know, so I hope this eventually becomes way in the rearview mirror. But for now, you know, that was seven, eight years ago. It's still somewhat somewhat recent, I guess, within 10 years, I guess you want to say somewhat recent and uh, just hasn't aged well. Her best performance to date was a split decision loss to Juliana Velasquez, who was the former Bellator champ who lost the belt to, I forgot, the former UFC fighter. Um, nonetheless, that was a good performance by her. And that's how close, you know, again, that's the high point of Lara, right? Split decision loss to, you know, a, a former Bellator champion, right? We don't want this breakdown to sound like we don't like Lara because, again, I've emphasized I'm jaded towards wanting her to win. We interviewed her. She's awesome, you know. Um, she has she has a chance to win this fight, you know. It's just that recently it's hard to get behind someone who at minus 200 range has dropped the ball three times in a row. That that gets you, you know, tentative, right? Lara has a solid skill set. She's very marketable. And... I think in this spot right here, the pressure could force her over the top. That That's the idea. that could force her into the right direction with her proverbial back against the wall, right? If anything, she should have plenty of motivation, <laughs> plenty of motivation to win this fight. Um, and this should be the turnaround, right? Maybe now she turns things around and gets on that winning streak. So Opsada Gova is a master of sport. For those who are not familiar with this terminology, in Russia, when you are a master of sport, uh, it could be whatever discipline that is, right? So if it's, I don't know, volleyball, or cricket, or whatever they have their list of master of sport. Uh, she has that title of master of sport in freestyle wrestling. Uh, so there you go. We talked about grappling before. This could be an area of concern for Lara, and Absodogova has this as part of you know one of the feathers in her cap. Absodogova, she'll need her wrestling in this fight, as far as I'm concerned. I think at range for three full rounds, it's a tougher win for Diana. I think that's where Lara could have again the reach advantage. Experience advantage, good kicking game. 
that can give Diana a little bit of a problem. So at some point, this fight will become a grappling bout, though. I'm convinced of that. I think both fighters do enjoy some grappling. Um, is it going to be boring and exciting? Is it going to take part? Is it going to take most of the fight? I'm not sure about that. But at some point, this fight does hit the, the cage or the ground. Avsadikova sports an undefeated record, and she's 3-0 in Bellator. It's impressive. She has faced, though, very soft schedule to, up to this point. That's the one knock on her. And you got to think about, you know, these undefeated young fighters. She's getting a little bit of a bump because she's Russian and, and, and pretty. If you like that dark hair and dark eye Russian, like, stare you down, tough dominatrix type of Russian, uh, she's got that look going on. Uh, Laura's going to be her toughest opponent. Uh, I'll repeat that. Alejandro Laura will be her toughest opponent by far. And again, Laura's been in there with some, some good fighters. So with that said, Absolutova has the tools to defeat Lara. She's got the skill set, right? She'll, she'll more than likely need to have some grappling success to win the cards. On the feet, they're closely matched. Absolutova should have a distinct advantage in the wrestling exchanges, though. And so that's that's where I see her winning the fight, is wrestling down Lara, holding down Lara, and then winning those exchanges. All right, so finishing this up here, Dinah Absolutova by split decision is the prediction. We've learned from experience to avoid the stress of wagering on either side of the fight, though. <laughs> the bets we like for this fight are distance-related spots, all right? So the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 290, love it. Or the fight going to decision at minus 265. Both good spots. Both spots we're going to play. Put them into a parlay. Be creative. If you want to play a long shot prop, Lara by submission or Absadagova into the distance at plus 400. They're interesting plays because both girls do have submissions, not high finish rates, but they have submissions. Um, they have abilities to finish their opponent if they get into a weird situation on the ground. So uh, the submission prop there for Lara and the inside the distance prop for Absadagova at plus 400. I haven't seen the props yet priced, so I don't know what they're priced at, but I would just keep an eye on that if they become available. Absadagova has two finishes in her first five pro fights. One submission and one TKO. And Lara has five submissions in her young career as well. There's your breakdown, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, again, torn here because having spoken to Alejandro recently, I do want her to win. <laughs> you know, um, I, I do want her to win. Yeah, you know. At the same time, man, it's it's a toss-up. Who knows how it goes. If Lara brings her A game to the table and she uses her experience and her talents, she wins. If she allows Absolutogova to use that master of sport freestyle wrestling to hold her down, Absolutogova's going to win. So there's your breakdown, boys and girls. Let's move on. Okay, moving up the prelim card. We've got a light heavyweight bout. That's 205 pounders. Grant the Truth Neal versus Carl King Albrechtson. Carl King Albrechtson. That last name, I always have to say it slowly. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. You know, the K-T-S-S-O-N. A little weird for the uh, English speaking folk like myself. Okay, I'll tell you right now, I like Grant Neal to win the fight by submission in round two. That's my prediction. It's not a popular one. I've heard some of the chatter out there. Heard one person even say that Carl Albrechtson could be in the UFC. Listen, who am I to say he shouldn't be, right? I'm going to go with Grant Neal. He is a slight dog here, though I'd be remiss in saying it's like a dog. You know, like when you're plus 105, plus 100, plus 120, that's pick of money. And it should be a pick of price. So I do agree with that. The basis here, we have these two fighters. Grant Neal is 7-1. He's 4-1 in his last five fights. Out of Colorado, 27 years old, 5-11 in height with a 74-inch reaching trains out of Genesis Training Academy. As for Mr. Carl 
Albrechtston. 13-4, so a little more cage time. 4-1 his last five fights. Slight favorite here out of Sweden. Stockholm, Sweden to be specific. He's 29 years young. Six foot two in height with a 75 and a half inch reach. And he's out of CSW Training Center and Pancreas Gym Sweden. So height and reach wise, a pretty significant advantage there for Carl Abrickston. And if you know how Grant Neal's built, he's a little bit built more like um, stockier, right? That'd be a good way to put it. Like stocky, not fat, but stocky, like, you know, jacked. Here's the breakdown, guys. I like Grant Neal to win by submission in round two. That's my prediction. This fight might end up a club and sub type of finish. That's more what I'm thinking. So not just like a natural submission, but more like he hurts Albrechtston. And then from there, takes up like a rear naked choke, right? Neil is an equal opportunity finisher. So he doesn't have a preference. You know, like that's why I said, if he clubs him, he'll go in there for a sub. If that's what it takes, he doesn't mind. Equal opportunity finisher. <laughs> this is a close fight no matter how you look at it. The money line is spot on. I like where the money line price is at. Neil went as it went 6-0 as an amateur before going pro 2019. Excuse me. He has submission skills and a high finish rate. His only blemish is a split decision loss two years ago to Alex Polizzi. And you might remember Alex Polizzi. He's the guy who fought Romero. Was that last year? Maybe the year before. And I think he got his jaw broken. Uh, Romero just about killed him. And uh, it, <laughs> he looked bad in that fight, Polizzi, that is. But it's Romero. And that's kind of how high Polizzi went up on the you know totem pole recently. So decent fighter. And that's who Grant Neal lost to by split decision. That's his only loss. So not a bad loss. It's aged well. Polizzi's 10-2 overall. You know what I mean? Pretty pretty good fighter. Right. So Neil has faced okay competition thus far. Uh he does have he does lack a signature win. Like that would have been a signature win, right? He didn't get it. <laughs> His safest path to victory for Neil, that is, is to knock out Carl in round one. Now you're probably saying, yeah, dude, that's obvious, right? But what I mean by that is he can do it. He's got that kind of power. Uh for example, last fight, if I said that, you know, the easiest path to victory for Alejandro Lara would be like to knock out you know, I've sort of go over round one. That's not realistic for, for Alejandro Lara. For Grant Neal, that is realistic. And if he can catch Carl the right way, he's shown to have some, you know, dynamite hands. So I, I say it because if he, if he pulls that off, I'm not surprised at all. That to me is the easiest path to victory. He shouldn't just base his whole fight strategy on that. He shouldn't just sit there and wait for one punch, but I could see it happening. <clears throat> Now, Grant has the type of ability, if he lands the right punch, okay, he may not finish the fight, he'll knock Carl down, get on top of him, and then from at least from that standpoint, take over position control, maybe look for a submission, and win part of a round uh, just with his power alone, right? So for Carl Albrechtston, he's a physical specimen with very good wrestling skills. He's more of an effect, he's more effective on the ground than he is in the feet. When he's forced to fight in the feet and at range, that's when he gets into trouble. And that brings up again the issue with what I think Grant Neal brings to the table, which is the power and, you know, working at distance, right? He's got a very long neck. That's Carl, okay? Like a very long neck and he holds his chin up super high. Like you can have a long neck and still cover yourself up. He's got a little bit of both going on. So long neck, high chin, uh, makes him easy to be hit, right? When he dives in for traditional takedowns, he's open to getting countered and leaves his neck very exposed. You can see him on film going for double leg takedowns and then having to defend guillotine chokes. One of his biggest concerns, or one of the biggest concerns we have for Carl, is his durability. He has been finished in three of his four defeats, twice by knockout and once by submission. So 
It's just, you know, it's it's not a ton of fights. I mean, not a ton of finishes, but, you know, in 17 fights so far, he has been finished a few times. He was submitted by a rear naked choke in his last fight. And that's where we bring up the idea that Grant Neal, who has some finishing ability, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not MMA math that we can depend on, but it gives us a clue into, like, how these guys fight and how they are finished and, you know, what their weaknesses are, right? Meanwhile, Neal has two rear naked choke submission wins in his last four fights. So you see how that just, look, it maybe doesn't happen. But a guy coming off of a submission loss by rear naked choke and a guy who's won a few fights recently by submission choke, rear naked choke, you know, just, just saying. Now, Carl does his best work when he is in dominant ground position, not on his back or not giving up his back, but when he's in dominant ground position. His win over Victor Nemkov is how he wins his fights. Okay, so you look back at that fight against Victor Nemkov. He puts on a wrestling clinic all three rounds, takes down Nemkov, a Russian fighter, dominates him, wins a boring fight, controls position, lands just enough of ground strikes. They don't break it up. <clears throat> it's not sexy, but he gets the job done. He does have very good cardio. That could be a factor for Grant Neal in the fight. Grant Neal's jacked, kind of thicker, has shown pretty good cardio, but maybe not as strong as Carl Albrechtstein when he comes back to like the second half of that fight. Carl's a bit of an animal, right? This could be a huge benefit to Carl if Neal slows down. I mean, the bottom line is if Carl can out extend him and use cardio as a weapon, um, cardio when, when when you weaponize cardio, it's it's hard to overcome. <clears throat> My last few notes in this fight. Neil has a more balanced attack and better finishing ability. Because of this, we're siding with Neil to win the fight into the distance. Carl's propensity to grapple should naturally create grappling scenarios, which could benefit both fighters. Now, from a betting perspective, we will have a play on Neil to win on the money line at plus 125. The fight doesn't go the distance at plus 105. And Neil into the distance at plus 370. Carl Albrechtson, by decision, is plus 215. That's worth a look. Excuse me, 215. That's worth a look if you guys like Albrechtson. I think that's how he wins the fight would be by decision. Remember, his like his recipe for how he does this, it's, it's been done before. It's by decision. He drags you down, controls you, doesn't finish, doesn't finish you, just wears you out and breaks you and eventually goes to the scorecards. That's what he does. And so that plus 215 spot, you're getting almost double the value there instead of taking him at like minus one. 20 or minus 125, wherever he's lined at in the money line, right? So for Carl, he's won three of his last five fights by decision, and Neil has never been finished. So again, more fodder for that, you know, theory that it probably goes to decision if Carl wins the fight, right? Carl has the tools and endurance to make it a close fight. And Neil, his only defeat was by split decision. So we could see a very close decision here if it does go to the scorecards. I am gonna still stick with my initial gut. I think Grant Neal has the ability to finish this fight into the distance. I'm going with Grant Neal to submit Brexton, Al Brexton. <laughs> I knew I would say it wrong at some point. Grant Neal to submit Al Brexton in round two. Submission, ground and pound, club and sub, something of that nature. That's your breakdown, guys. And we're up to the next fight. It's going to be Christopher Gonzalez versus Max Roskov. This will be a lightweight bout, 155 pounders. And we're going to tell you right now, we like Chris Gonzalez to win by decision that's sitting at plus 220 we do want to talk about this fight uh in detail especially when it comes to max roskoff a guy that we want to reach out to interview and get on our show he has a bit of a story to tell we'll tell some of it during the breakdown here but let's go over the particulars first here so for chris he goes by cg i imagine that's his 
initials, right? Chris Gonzalez. So Chris C.G. Gonzalez, 7-2 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. A favorite at minus 190 out of Sacramento, California, 31 years old, 5'11 in height with a 73-inch reach. He's out of Team Alpha Male. So he's fighting at home. Sacramento is, it's not L.A. Um, I'm going to guess hour and a half, two hours. I, I could be off. California's pretty big. But I would imagine it's it's in the wheelhouse of maybe some friends and family being able to to make it over. As for Max Roscoff, who goes by Rated R, that's actually a pretty cool nickname. I don't think I've ever heard that one. It's pretty dope. Seven and one overall, four one in his last five fights. A slight dog here at plus one forty out of Las Vegas, Nevada. So he's also Pacific Central Time, West Coast, not too far. Could also be a drive because I, I mean, let me. I'm going back some years now when I was in college. I drove from was it from L.A. to Nebraska? It, anyway, the point is Las Vegas is is probably I think like a four or five hour drive from Southern California. I could be off. That's a lot of geography for me right there. I just probably stressed my whole brain there. Elementary school years, geography, Las Vegas. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Robscoff is also a West Coaster, basically. Six foot one in height, so a three inch reach advantage there. I'm sorry, height advantage for Robscoff. 28 years old, so three, three inches, three inches, three years younger than Gonzalez. And same reach number, 73 inches. And for Max, he trains out of Extreme Kotoa and Zenith MMA as his primary gym. And I emphasize that because a lot of athletes will train out of Extreme Couture as like a, like a part time thing. That's okay, too. Um, or they'll do their like part of their camp there. You know what I'm saying? According to Tapology, Max Robskoff is the favorite. We're just going against all the grain today on this breakdown, aren't we? This will be one of those cards where when it's all said and done, we're going to either look very smart here or complete jackasses. But uh, the numbers tell us what the numbers tell us. And we're following the numbers here. So here's our details on this breakdown. So Chris Gonzalez comes into this fight in the midst of his toughest stretch of his career. He was 6-0 before dropping to 7-2 after his last three fights. He fights out of a southpaw stance. Now, Usman Nurmagomedov submitted him in round one last summer. Yeah, Usman Nurmagomedov, one of those Dagestani knuckle gang dudes over there who, uh, I mean, Usman's one of the top prospects in all of Bellator. You know, so it's it's not bad to lose to him. You just hope it would go longer, right? <laughs> Now, Gonzalez made a grappling mistake that led to the submission, and don't we all, against Usman. That's what would happen to me. I would make a grappling mistake that would lead to submission, and, and so did Chris. <laughs> now, we do have some durability concerns for Chris. He has been finished twice in round one over his last three fights. Yeah, that's, that's not great. So being finished twice in the first five minutes of his last three fights, yeah, you don't want to see that. Now, Usman and Giotti have finished some very good opponents in their respective careers, though, so we feel that the strength of schedule uh, and Bellator experience will be a significant factor for Gonzalez. So even though he got finished by some, you know, two good guys in his last, you know, two of his last three on a little bit of a losing streak, he has faced good competition. Guys who've also finished other, you know, high-quality opponents, too. As for Max Roscoff, a former college wrestler from Ohio. Shout out to the wrestlers out there. Woohoo. In addition to his eight pro fights, he has one amateur bout and four grappling bouts. This fight will mark his Bellator debut. Wow. So he was fighting in Cage Warriors part of this, and Cage Warriors is a very good promotion. 
just to give you an idea, Patty Pimblett fought in Cage Warriors before coming to the you know UFC, and so did anyway. A handful of fighters <laughs> have fought in that promotion and then have made way to the UFC. If you look at his past fights, you can't help but notice his one fight in the UFC, and this one kind of snuck up on me. Full disclosure, I'm not going to pretend like I knew his story beforehand. I've been in the mixed martial arts coverage game or you know, covering it, interviewing athletes and whatnot for about two years or so, and this was a little bit outside my scope. Uh, but he did fight the UFC one time, and his UFC experience turned into a, it's a bit of a nightmare, okay, because he ends up not coming out of the stool for the third round, in essence, quits on the stool, you know, and, you know, nowadays, the internet, whatever else, it jumped all over him, and, you know, <clears throat> Reports of you know people calling him or finding ways to contact him, you know death threats, the whole nine. Internet roasted him. He had to delete all social media, you know stuff. Went through some depression. UFC said, "Here's your papers." They sent him packing too, and uh, yeah, so he hit rock bottom emotionally, you know mentally, financially. Uh, from a career standpoint, you know, just really piled it on him. So he's been through that. And I say all this because it's, it's his story. That That's who Max Robskoff is. He's not just some fighter A, fighter B. A big part of our coverage here at Mixed Martial Arts, excuse me, at MA Fight Club, is we cover the people, the athletes. And recently in some of our interviews, you can sense that. Our questions and what we're talking about a lot of times is driven behind who they are as people. And I, I hope one day as our channel grows and as our audience grows, the people that come to this channel, uh, the fighters who come and interview this channel, know that we have, a, we have a sincere, I guess, empathy for who they are as people. Uh, in the case of Max Roscoff, the, the horrible side of, of humanity you know, revered its ugly head and you know jumped all over the kid He's still only 28, you know, this was years ago this fight happened. So he's been through some shit, okay? For lack of better words, Mac, Max has been through some stuff, and he's a, he's a tough dude to, you know, be bouncing back, fighting in Bellator, you know, arguably the second, second biggest promotion, excuse me, in the world behind the UFC. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> With all that said, let me get back to the, the breakdown here. So this fight will go out. This fight will go a long way to seeing how he's recovered from everything that's happened to him. Now, he has won a few fights since then, but still, you know, people are looking at him closely like, hey, is this kid back? Is he still fragile? You know, um, he has evolved into a submission fighter. He had strong wrestling skills to begin with, former college wrestler, right? But now has evolved into a very good submission fighter as well. He has finishes in four of his last five wins, three by submission and one by TKO. Five of his, five of his seven professional wins have been by submission. And as with many wrestlers, his striking game, it needs some work. That's uh, it's an obvious low point in his game. He needs to work on his striking. At 28, though, he's plenty young enough to still make improvements in that part of his game. And look, the kid's he's determined. He's 7-1. and one. He's got a, a good record. This whole UFC nightmare, it's behind him. There's a lot to like about him. Now, final few notes here, okay? Uh, this this fight is a toss-up, guys. It's, it's priced appropriately. I could even argue it should be priced more at a pick'em. Um, Max Roxkoff gets a little bit of a bad rep sometimes, still because of what happened before. I think instead of investing into a winner here, instead of betting a side, 
we're going to look at the distance props. That's, you know, that's like, for example, hockey. I, I bet little NHL hockey and I don't bet the winners very much. I, I, I hardly ever do. I don't. I just simply bet covering a few goals or, you know, you see over four goals total, over four and a half, you know, two teams that are pretty close. I'll throw some money there into a parlay or two and, you know, I'll call it a day. Uh, but this is a fight where, again, I wouldn't feel really comfortable betting either side. Um, we very well could see a fight go to the third round, meaning where it comes down to the third round. So they both have won one round. And now you're betting against the judges. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like that spot. So we like the fight going over a round and a half at minus 165. That is a fantastic spot. Yeah, I like that spot a lot. And if we had to choose a winner, we're going to go with Gonzalez uh, to bounce back with a decision win. And if you like Gonzalez as much as we do, he's plus 220 by decision. So don't know that we'll bet that spot, but we will bet the uh, over one and a half at minus 165. We do like that spot. That's your breakdown, boys and girls. Should be a close one. Let's move on. All right. Next up, we've got Steve Maori versus Ali Izev. I'm going to try the best I can to give this breakdown with a straight face because there is so many <laughs> there's so many variables with this fight there's so many there's so much nonsense going on with this fight and I'm not calling the fighters nonsense I'm just there's a lot of nonsense and you know this Ali Iziev dude wow question marks abound I'll give you the breakdown but from a betting perspective this is good old-fashioned hot garbage dumpster fire I'm going to read you some of the lines that have come out, like the over-unders and stuff. This fight, <laughs> yeah, this fight doesn't make any sense in terms of some of the lines that are out, but we'll read it off to you. You might want to just fast forward this video because this is not a fight you want to mess with. If you have to bet on mixed martial arts, do not bet on these kind of fights, please. We talk bankroll management. We talk risk assessment. The hot, the, the risk here is so high. <laughs> All right, so let's talk business here. So we've got heavyweights, the second of two heavyweights that are going to be on this card, the main event being the second one, of course, right? Steve Maury, the American from Boca Raton, Florida, used to be the internet. It was like the internet East Coast. It was the Silicon Valley of the East Coast. I remember these days back in like the early 2000s. A bunch of internet companies popped up in Boca Raton because of the relaxed state legislation on email marketing and whatnot. So yeah, I always think of Boca Raton that way. Anyway, that's where Steve Mowry is from. He's 30 years old, six foot eight in height with a 79 inch reach, and he's out of Hard Knocks 365. The Russian, Ali Izyev, undefeated as well at 9-0. <laughs> I gotta laugh. So both guiders are undefeated, which is really impressive. 9-0 versus 10-0. It shocks me that they're undefeated, and I and it's such a distraction. Most of the casual betters will see this fight and see two undefeated fighters and be like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, with high expectations, quell your expectations. Settle, settle, settle. <laughs> By the time this breakdown's done, you're gonna you'll 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 see what I'm talking about. They're, these guys are you know very unique, very special, special. Um, so Ali's not a no. He is the slight favorite right now at minus one ten. Whatever, it's a pick and price. He's from Moscow, Russia. He's 39, so he's about nine years older. Uh, 
I guess not a factor for heavyweights, right? Depends on what subscription you you pay attention to. Some people say, you know, early 40s, you're fine, whatever. Look at Glover Teixeira, light heavyweight, whatever, but still. So 39 with a lot of rest last few years should be okay, right? Six foot three compared to six foot eight Steve Mowry. So yeah, Mowry's really tall. Um, <clears throat> you can argue too tall. <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but Ali will be the shorter fighter. Reach-wise, though, Mowry only has one inch reach advantage, and that is the more important number because he can be as tall as whatever, but the reach number is not much different than we're not talking about much, right? So Ali Aziev trains out of Cree Post Fight Club, not MA Fight Club. I wouldn't let him train in my club. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, okay, let's talk business here. So Maori by TKO is the prediction. That is our prediction. That's how we see the fight ending. What round? Oh, round two. Ali Iziev is a huge question mark at this point in his career. The undefeated record in Russian nationality automatically gave him a bump on the bookies. Yeah, I, I think that if he, if he was, I always say the same name. I have to come up with a different name. If he was um, David uh, Johnson from Niagara, upstate you know, New York, and uh, he was not a no and hadn't fought in like whatever, like this guy, you know, would he be the favorite here? Probably not, but he's Russian. He's undefeated. <laughs> he won the PFL. I, let me get out of my system right now. I keep giggling about it, but he's one of the people or fighters that won the PFL when there was like no one there. And those fighters who won some of those early years, like 2019, when he won the PFL, he fought a guy named Jared Roseholt. Yeah, yeah, Jared Roseholt. I'd never heard of him either. And if you look up Jared Roseholt, Jared Roseholt's last fight was 2019 with Ali Izyev. He has not fought since then. And then again, neither has Ali Izyev. <laughs> but one guy won a million dollars, the other guy didn't win a million dollars. Um, anyway, looking back at Jared Roseholt's career, you know, he's uh, he's got some wins over guys like Mo DeRees and, and Kevin Kelvin Tiller, um, but a lot of L's. Wasn't very talented. He ends up in the finals. Okay, he ends up beating Mo DeRees in the, uh, I guess, pre-playoff, the one before the playoff. The point is this. <laughs> okay, my man Ali Iziev, he won the PFL title in 2019, got a million bucks for that, and then just called it a day. <laughs> Has not fought since then. Now, he's had a whole bunch of bouts scheduled. He's had four bouts on the record that were scheduled and canceled against Muil, Renan Ferreira, Clayton Abreu, Jamel Jones. I mean, he had two fights scheduled last year. Neither one happened. You know, it's a little bit of his history there. <laughs> The biggest red flag with him is that he hasn't fought in what four years. It's it's a problem. It's it's a gigantic problem. You have to imagine there's going to be some significant ring octagon whatever rust. He had four fights in the PFL canceled over the last two years. Each time he withdrew from the fight, mind you, it wasn't as if it was the opponent, right? I'm gonna say it wouldn't be surprising to me if he backs out this fight, or even if Steve Mary backs out the fight. It's too bad we can't bet in the fight. Someone backing out because we still have some time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, trying to analyze Izzyev's abilities after all this time off and tons of questions, uh, yeah, it's it's a waste of time. Uh, I'm not going to try to do it. We simply have no clue what to expect from him. 
We don't know if he's going to be in shape, not in shape. Um, we know he did good in the PFL 2019 when there was no one in the division and he was fighting guys like Modarese. Um Yeah, <laughs> we just don't know what to expect from him. It would be like if a baseball player who was good for a few years retired and then took a long layoff and then came back. It, it's very difficult to see how or project how they would do back out in the field, right? So we're lost. We're a little bit lost here on trying to predict how Ali Aziaf is going to look. And unless you have inside information and we don't, we have some contacts, but not enough that are far reaching enough to give us information on Ali Aziaf. It's just, uh, it's tough, tough to analyze. You know, now for a heavyweight, one thing about Aziaf, he does have a very low finish rate. And it's not a big critique, but it's notable because he's a heavyweight. Usually these guys crack for him a lower finish rate. Five of his nine pro wins have been by decision. And at the same time, I guess you could say he's got good cardio, right? So if he's got good cardio, he goes to decision. That's not bad. Will he have the cardio after a long layoff? Who knows? No. Now, maybe Mario's cardio. No, Mari. I call him Mario. <laughs> Steve Mari. Maybe Steve Mari's cardio could be an issue because he's also coming off a long layoff too. Maybe cardio could be a determining factor in his fight. <clears throat> it shouldn't. It's heavyweight, but it could be, which we'll talk about in a moment here. So as for Mr. Mary, who hails from Boca Raton, Florida, he is 17 and 0 between his amateur and pro record. Nice. That is impressive. You know, winning's a habit. Just like backing out of fights. But winning is a habit, you know? He comes to this fight looking for his 11th win in a row in the professional ranks, of course. That would be 18 in a row total. He's also coming to this fight off of a long layoff. His last fight at least his last MMA fight was almost two years ago. And I say MMA because he had a, was he a grappling bout or something like that? He did. He grappled Nick Rodriguez at Fury Pro Grappling Thres in 2021. That was still uh, two years ago. And he lost that fight, rear naked choke, round one. He's lucky it wasn't a mixed martial arts fight. would have messed up his perfect record, right? Um... So much like his opponent, Mary has withdrawn from a handful of fights. Mary's last win in the cage was in 2021. A ton of like cancellations here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's had eight cancellations in his career. I'm not looking at why it happened, but tends to have cancellations. I mean, even had a cancellation on a grappling bout. <laughs> so... It's par for the course. Again, it's a shame we can't bet on the fight getting canceled because it seems likely this fight would be canceled. <laughs> Back to my point, Mary's last win was in 2021, about two years ago. Last fight was 2021, about two years ago. And so, yeah, a lot of questions marks about him too. There's a high probability that this fight does not happen. Remember I said that? And that doesn't even take place. <laughs> And it's hard to predict what's going to happen. I don't know what we're going to see here. I feel like we could see almost anything. We could see the fight going further than it should go. We could see the fight going a quick one punch knockout, and you know the guys were one guy's out of shape or something. Yeah, a lot of variants, a lot of variants. Yeah, whatever we do, it's going to be a light investment. If anything, treat your bets. If you're serious about winning money, I'm betting treat them like investments, meaning that. If it's a high risk, like this is all high risk, small amounts, small amounts in tidbits. You make your money little by little. You know, don't throw a ton of money. Like people do that 
all the chips in like it's poker or whatever. No, dude, <laughs> just a little a chip or two. You know, some betting spots we like for this fight are the fight does not go the distance is minus two ten. I'm gonna talk about that though in a second though. That's my instinctual. It should happen. Two heavyweights, long time off, endurance should be a factor. Someone just maybe doesn't get knocked out. Just eventually just does the ball up thing. The other person just like you know King Kong on them like, oh. and then we get you know a TK or the ref steps in. So I think under or the fight not going the distance at minus two ten. I like it. <clears throat> Over one and a half is minus one sixty. Now you know I know we're playing almost both sides there. It's obviously a round and a half difference, but I feel as if their their records indicate going to the second round. That's part of their milieu, as they say, like their environment, part of what they do. It's it's common for them, unless someone has a big cardio issue or unless we see someone get smashed in round one. I see it going round two. I see it going over round and a half. That's minus one sixty. And then married to one of the money line is sitting around minus minus oh now plus one fifteen. My my apologies. Plus one fifteen. So I like him also in money line. Those are the bets we like. I do want to point out some other stuff though that I noticed here. Okay, so if you look up on you know bet fight odds, for example, you can see what I'm looking up right now. You'll be able to see the numbers based upon what's available. And this kind of kind of surprised me. So here we go. The fight goes to decision is plus 160, and the fight doesn't go to decision is minus 210. And I thought to myself, wow, a heavyweight bout, 6'8 guy, 6'3 guy, going to decision at minus 210? That tells me that for some reason the market really believes this fight has a high probability of going into like round three. The over two and a half is plus 120. You would never see these kind of numbers for a traditional heavyweight bout. That's all I'm saying. So this is kind of funny the way this thing is lined. Like Mary to win, so the distance is plus 170. Izzy to win, so the distance is plus 175. You know, these are all numbers that suggest this fight's probably going longer. Here's one for you. The fight goes to a draw is plus 6,500. Yeah, listen, that's not the question. The fight, I believe, gets into round two. I do. And then from there, it's like, where are you? Are you do you have, you have the over one and a half? Are you putting a decision prop? Um, whatever we see, if the fight happens, right? If the fight happens, I, I don't expect it to be the best looking fight, unfortunately. I'm, I'm seeing it in advance. Uh, I want to see a good fight. I hope it's a good fight. I hope to see a bunch of action. Big knockout, whatever. Uh, um, little worried that we're going to see uh, slow pace for, for three rounds and then a close decision. <laughs> so in that case, I think that close decision goes towards Steve Mowry. And for the last time, I think the fight doesn't even happen. So there's your breakdown, guys. Move on. Okay, next fight, Henry Oke Corrales versus Ahmed Magomedov. I didn't say okay in the middle of Henry's name because I want to say okay again. Henry's nickname is okay. 
Maybe it stands for Oklahoma, like OKC. Corrales is 20-6 and six overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. Huge dog here, plus 300 range. He's from Redlands, California. A lot of Cali fighters in this card. That makes sense. It costs Bellator less money to travel them, right? Makes sense. 36 years young, 5'8 in height with a 70-inch reach, and he's out of fight-ready MMA. Good gym. He's fighting Ahmed Magomedov. No relationship to Khabib Nurmagomedov. No, no, no. Hold on. Let me correct myself. I, 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 I might have misspoken. There may be some kind of a cousin relationship there. I do know that there is a training relationship. That I do know. Ahmed is from Dagestan, Russia. He rocks the traditional beard, has the look on his face like he will break you. He's undefeated at 10 0. Big favorite at like minus 425 to minus 450. And uh, he's young, much younger than Corrales, 10 years younger, 26 years old, 5 8 height with a 68 inch reach. So he has a 2 inch reach disadvantage, but the same height. And you could imagine, you know what he's going to bring to the table, right? Dagestani style wrestling, grappling, amazing wrestling, submission fundamentals. He'll test Corrales for all three rounds. Um, the minor line, it might be a little, a little too much, meaning like it might be a little bit out of range of where it should be. The problem is, is once you analyze film and look at the realities here, it becomes harder and harder to find a way that Corrales wins this fight, let's say, more than once or twice out of 10. Like, that's how much you start realizing the difference, you know? Um, and I like Corrales. He's a good fighter. This is just a bad matchup, matchup for him, you know what I mean? Um, and at 20-6, and six, Corrales has got a good record. Fought some good fighters, right? Let's talk some more details here. So, for the prediction here, we got Ahmed, Ahmed Magomedov to win by submission. More than likely in round two. For Corrales, it's a tough matchup. He struggles with grapplers, and that's exactly what Akhmedov does. For Corrales, he comes to this fight on a two-fight winning streak, but has lost three of his last six fights. His biggest win in Bellator was against Aaron Pico back in 2019. He's a He was a plus one underdog in that fight, actually. Pretty impressive, and he knocked out Pico in round one. Yeah, that's his claim to fame right there. That 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 fight was a big one, man. Aaron Pico's back on track. Good fighter. But it was not his night. Corrales had his number there. For Corrales, he could be boom or bust at times. Obviously, in that moment, he was boom, right? <laughs> Plus one underdog, round one finish. He's also been finished by submission in three of his six defeats. And that's a big concern for us. When it comes to durability, I'm just not so sure about him. And here we've got Magomedov who wants to choke you and submit you. So, you know, we can see that being a problem. Put it that way. For Ahmed, he's a prototypical Dagestani fighter. He was born in Dagestan, and he fights just like he's from Dagestan. He's an exciting, undefeated prospect for Bellator. I'm sure they have their eyes on him. If he wins this fight in exciting fashion, another fight or two, he'll be in the cusp of challenging for a title, right? Quite frankly, probably good enough to be in the UFC right now, though they can't just sign all the guys from Russia, so he's in Bellator. He employs a heavy wrestling attack. He wears down his opponent. He looks for submissions, but has no problem just riding you out for three rounds. He has six finishes out of his 10 victories, four by submission and two by TKO. For Ahmed, 
He's a very aggressive wrestler that wastes no time getting his opponents to the ground. Karaz will have to be perfectly fighting the entire time, basically. Defending every single possible take that. He's going to have to be very careful for all 15 minutes to avoid the clutches of Ahmed. The only real question here is, can Ahmed submit Karaz? That's my only question. I was like, well, he's going to win the fight, but will he submit him or will go decision? And from any perspective, yeah, it's a difference in numbers. You know what I mean? Because I think Ahmed wins. It's just like, how does he win, right? I don't know. How does he win? Give me some comments down below. How does Ahmed win the fight? I say comments below. If you're listening to this on our podcast, you cannot comment down below. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> so the opening lines were juiced in favor of Ahmed. We'll throw Ahmed into a parlay around minus 450 range. We'll sprinkle Ahmed by submission and also have some action on the fight, knock with the distance, which currently sits at plus 120. It makes some sense. Henry Corrales has been finished. Okay, yes. But he's not a bad fighter. And Ahmed is you know, 26, still young, still making improvements, still making mistakes. But it just seems like he should be able to finish him. So at plus 120, there's some value there, but I can see why the market is giving that plus money and not giving it, like, let's say, minus 150, minus 170, which is what I thought it was going to be at. It's going to be damn near impossible for Cross to win the fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to finish on that note. I think it's going to be damn near impossible. Uh, then again, bigger upsets have happened. I always reference the Holly Holm upset over... Oh my gosh, how can I forget right now? Ronda Rousey. And she was like a plus 750 underdog. So that that would have made Ronda Rousey, I don't know how much, over a thousand something that night. But any given Sunday, like they say in football, any given mixed martial arts fight, it's two grown-ass men fighting. Uh, but it seems like Ahmed's got all the arrows pointing his direction. So like Ahmed by submission, round number two. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Next up, we have Lorenz Larkin versus Makamed Berkamov. This is the fight, or one of the two fights in this card, that I did not get a chance to do a full breakdown. I'm going to give you a very, like, skim, kind of off the cuff, uh, just whatever I kind of uncovered without an organized approach, so forgive me. Uh, but, you know, if you want to fast forward, this breakdown's going to be very vanilla, and don't want to waste your time. If you're looking for a detailed breakdown, keep it moving. I'm going to go with Larkin. He's the dog. I get it. I simply am going on the, on the veteran experience. He's fought the better quality of competition. He's obviously fought more fights. He's had some moments. He's got hands, got power. I think that Mak, Makhmedov, Berkhamov is good, but still a little wet behind the ears. I think most of that 15-1 record is padded you know, by very easy opponents. And so I like the fighter's chance, the puncher's chance. Now, if I have to bet in the fight, right? I'm going to probably look at the over-unders again, like the distance props. Whenever I'm not sure about who's going to win, I'm looking in that direction. But in terms of who wins the fight, I'm going to lean towards Larkin. That's my pick. And if I had to guess, I'm going to go with Larkin to win the fight. Gosh, you know, it's tough here. Probably by decision. I'll take that. Now, for those who are going with uh, uh, Mukamed or Makamed uh, Berkhamov, I can't blame you. The 15-1 record looks very attractive. The Russian flag is waving very proud. But remember, like he beat Jaleel Willis. And that was like three years, almost, I'm sorry, two years ago. He hasn't fought since 2021. It's just not as if we got a guy who's fought recently or beat anyone serious. Because the only fight he had in Bellator so far was against Jaleel Willis. So I just temper expectations and be careful parlaying a minus 250 spot. This falls into that bankroll management sphere 
where what's your return? Would you bet 250 bucks straight up to win back money? Do you have the confidence in Mohamed Berkhamov in that spot that much? I do not. I also wouldn't put a uh, hundred bucks on Larkin either <laughs> in this spot. So, you know, fly, fly low, low with caution here. I wouldn't expose too much. I apologize. We couldn't get to the breakdown too much going on this week. Didn't get a chance to it. So, uh, with that said, we're choosing Larkin to win the fight at plus 180. If you do bet up strip the money line, some nice return. Let's move on. Okay, last fight in the premium card is going to be Neiman Gracie versus Dante Shiro. This is the second of the two fights in the card that we did not have a chance to get into a full breakdown. We all have familiarity with Neiman Gracie, one of the Gracie you know, lineage relatives and been in Bellator now for a little while. Dante Shiro coming in more or less, uh, not a journeyman, but on the road to being a journeyman, doesn't really have anywhere near the hype or the platform that Neiman Gracie has. And quite frankly, I think it's being just kind of walked out to slaughter in this fight. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. I am very, I bet against Gracie in his last fight. He lost, right? And I recall coming to this fight and just thinking, man, you know, with him, he gets the same type of thing on the money line. He gets the the bump. You see, last fight, he was a minus 190 favorite against Yamauchi. And Yamauchi ends up knocking him out in round two. Now, it was an okay fight before that, but Gracie wasn't taking him down. Gracie wasn't getting anywhere near submissions. For those who watched PFL last Friday, we saw the main event where you had this super credentialed Brazilian mixed martial artist, I'm sorry, Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter, no-gi, gi fighter, you know, grappling credentials through the roof. And he had to fight the feet for three rounds and he lost. Um, you know, so you, you could be an amazing grappler. You could be directly related to the Gracie family. And if you don't get to that arena of the fight, you know, you have problems. In this fight, though, I feel like the Pelator is doing him a big favor and saying, look, we got to get this guy back into the winning column. The name Gracie is, it's crazy. But Gracie has also lost one, two, three, four of his last six fights in three of his last four. He lost to Logan Storley, lost to Jason Jackson, lost to Jody Yamauchi, Roy McDonald, Jason Jackson. I mean, yeah. And why does he lose? Because he is a grappler. Neiman Gracie is a grappler. I've said it again. Neiman Gracie is a grappler. He is not a mixed martial artist. Now, he's fighting as a mixed martial artist in Bellator because of his name. Now, as for Dante Shiro, the problem we have with this young man is he's making his, what, one, two, three, fourth Bellator fight. He's one and two in Bellator so far. He's losing to guys in Bellator like Luca Pockliffe, who are okay. Logan Storley, okay as well. Pretty good. I don't believe that he's coming in here with the credentials, the skill level to be able to defend himself against submissions. And I think Gracie ends up getting a submission win. That's what I see happening. Now, as for the price tag, yeah, I want a part of it. Do not do it to yourself. Do not parlay Gracie. I'll have a parlay that'll be available for those who are subscribed to our newsletter, our subject newsletter. You'll get the whole tip sheet available to you guys, but I'll have a parlay that'll include Dante Shiro in it. 
like a long shot parlay, just, you know, the Lambo kind of parlay, right? But for Neiman Gracie, yeah, want no parts of it. Feel like he is uh, very one-dimensional and get you in some trouble here. So, yeah, bankroll management. Stay away from this fight. I would, I would be very cautious about betting it. If you could find a prop on Gracie by submission and it makes some kind of sense, it's like close to even money or something, maybe look at that. But why would you go out on the limb at minus 350 for a guy who's been on a hell of a tough streak, has shown to be one-dimensional, and um, quite frankly, is always overrated the money line, right? So that's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on to the main card now. Okay, we're up to the main card. We've got a welterweight bout to open up the main card between Saba Hamasi, who goes by the Sleek Sheik, and Brennan Ward, who goes by Irish. I like the nickname, the Sleek Sheik. That's pretty cool for Saba Hamasi. Hamasi's a bit of a, I want to say like a cult hero, but he's a well-known mixed martial artist. He's had his run on a few top promotions, you know, fought in the UFC, whatever else, and uh, a guy who's just well-known, big personality. He's only 34 years old, though. Still some time to make a, a run here in Bellator and do some things. The base of these two fighters here for Saba, he's 17 and 10 overall, 3 and 2 in his last five fights. A slight favorite here at minus 160. He's out of Coconut Creek, Florida, 34 years old, 6 foot in height with a 71 inch reach. Trains out of American Top Team. As for Mr. Ward, who goes by Irish, he's 16 and 6 overall, 3 and 2 in his last five fights as well. A slight dog at plus 120. Out of New London, Connecticut, so we got two American fighters. He's also 34 years old, five foot ten, so about two inches shorter than Hamasi. Though I believe they're about the same height. I, I sometimes these numbers on Tapology aren't as accurate as they should be. I think they're about the same height, and they have the same reach, 71 inches. For Brendan Ward, he trains out of Whaling City Boxing and Jiu Jitsu. All right, so here's my notes. Here, I like Hamasi to win by round two TKO. That's my prediction. Drop the mic. No, we'll give you more than that. Okay, so for Brendan Ward, he enters this bout on a two-fight winning streak after a stretch where he went one and three. Out of 16 pro fights, he has 15 finishes. Yeah, the dude's a finisher. That's what she said. Most of his finishes come from TKO variety. One of his concerns, or one of the concerns we have with him, uh, is that he has been finished in all six of his career defeats. Ooh, okay, so a little bit of a little bit of a let's just say a durability concern there right so all six losses have been losses where he got finished in some way shape or form he has only been to decision once in 22 career fights yes yeah, so my man he's either getting finished or he's finishing someone he's only been to decision one time in 22 career fights wow it's amazing so ward goes to his wrestling early and often he backs up his wrestling with excellent cardio he needs to be careful in his feet, though, because his striking defense needs some work. He compounds the problem by holding his chin up high and keeping his hands low. A sharp boxer could land a jab on him with ease. And so, yeah, watching Brendan Ward on film, his stand-up defense is not great, specifically his standing boxing defense. Doesn't have good head movement. I don't know if it's a lack of training, lack of instincts. Uh, he's susceptible to getting hit in the feet. For Hamasi, he's a veteran that has fought for Strikeforce, the UFC, and Bellator over 27 career fights. He's 6-4 in Bellator. He's earned a finish in 10 of his last 12 wins. Nice high finish rate. And he has been finished in 5 of his last 6 defeats. Okay, so kind of like Ward here, he's getting finished. When he loses, he gets finished. <laughs> he, can be, he can be inconsistent at times, Hamasi that is, 
When he's on point and focused, he looks amazing. He looks high level. When a fight isn't going his way, it can quickly turn into a dumpster fire for him. The point is this. There's usually no gray area when it comes to Hamasi's performances. He either looks really good or he looks like shit. <laughs> Hamasi has the skills and experience to win this fight. Ward has the wrestling and cardio to drag on Hamasi for three full rounds. This bout will come down to which fighter can execute their game plan. We're going to go with Hamasi because of his experience and advantage. His experience advantage, excuse me. Hamasi by TKO in round one or round two, excuse me, is the prediction. For some of the betting spots in this fight that we like the most, let me give you some tips here. Uh, Hamasi, Hamasi. So the fight not going to decision is at minus 530. We're obviously not going to play that. Uh, we talked to numbers here. It makes sense. Both guys are either killed or be killed. So the fight not going to decision is is very un, you know very likely. When this happens, though, I mean I've seen it happen before. It brings like the Kamzat Shemaya fight versus Gilbert Burns. No one thought that fight was going to go to the distance. No one. When you were watching it, like no way it goes to the distance, and then it does, right? So I don't know what that would be at. Let me look it up for you. But the fight goes to decision with Hamasi. And Ward, fight goes to decision is plus 350, right? Be 15 tough, sweating minutes, I guess. But I don't know, maybe worth a sprinkle, uh, something just to, to, to consider. But, okay, so the fight going under a round and a half is minus 175. It's a spot we are considering, not high confidence, but we're considering. Hamasi into the distance is minus 140, and Brendan Ward inside the distance is plus 225. Um yeah, I mean, see, here it is again. If you're betting Hamasi here at minus, what? Where's he sitting on the money line? He's minus 160. You know, that's a good price. I think you're better off messing with that than going into the distance. You only get, what, 20 points difference in terms of the, the, the odds. I think you're better off with, with that bet. But, but, let me back up real quick here. There's a good chance here for Ward 2. The line is priced appropriately. I'm basing a lot of this on what I think Hamasi can do based upon experience. Um, very good gym, ATT, so on and so on. But uh, the fight's probably not going to go the full distance. Under 1.5 rounds at minus 175, I like that spot. Under 2.5 is sitting at minus 360. I guess you could parlay that. It's a little rich for my liking, but under 2.5 is minus 360. So uh, those are your spots, guys. But again, we like Saba Hamasi to win the fight in round 2 by TKO. That's your prediction. Okay, moving up to the co-main event. A title fight. Johnny Eblen versus Anatoly Tokov. And this is for the middleweight crown that currently is being held by Johnny Eblen. And we're going to tell you right now off the bat, we like Eblen to win the fight by decision. That's at plus 145. We'll give you a full breakdown, but that's our prediction to get it out of the way. So Johnny Eblen goes by the human cheat code up against Anatolov Tokov, who doesn't have a listed nickname here on Tapology. He's one of those just serious Russians. Like, no nickname for me. Just, I break you. <laughs> a lot of Russians on this card, right? So for Eblen, undefeated 12-0 prospect. Currently a favorite here at minus 160. Based out of Coconut Creek, Florida. Training out of American top team. Wonderful gym. 31 years old. 6'1 in height with a 74-inch reach and a strong wrestling background wrestling college and state champion type of thing that that kind of level wrestling for tokov 31 and 3 overall and you're like wow a lot of experience dude's got a very high finish rate i'm sorry very high winning percentage he's 5 and 0 in his last five fights a slight dog here at plus 130 again from russia 32 years old and 11 months so about to be 33 about two years older but age is not a factor these guys are very close in age 
Height-wise, Anatoly is 5'10", with a 73-inch reach, and he's out of Alexander Nevsky, which is, again, a very good gym. He's got other fighters on his card who are also here with him. So height and reach-wise, there is a slight advantage there for Johnny Eblen. Not sure it's going to be a big factor, but uh, he has the edge. So once again, it's 185 pounds for the middleweight championship that Johnny Eblen will be defending here against Tokov. Now, back to my notes here on this fight. This will be an excellent fight. I'll tell you what. It's a fight that I can see either guy winning. It, it should have its moments. It's going to go the better part of five rounds, I believe. Both guys have endurance. I like to wrestle. I like to grapple. And uh, still at that, we can still see a finish. For Tokov, he's a hard-nosed Russian fighter with invaluable experience. Elbin is an American wrestler who has quickly risen to the top of the Bellator ranks. He's now champion. In a, like Overnight, this guy came in here, ran rough shot through the division, Nice champion. Will he keep the crown here? The Russian come in and spoil his night. So for Eblin, he earned his title last summer with a one-sided decision win over legendary Gagard Musasi. Most people remember that fight because Musasi is such a like cool camper. He comes out to like, you know, me and you and you and me. <laughs> you know, that that kind of like, you know, just you know, chilling, right? Um, Eblin's more, a little more, you know, wrestler, more focused, but he beats Gagar Musasi. He wrestles the damn hell out of Gagar Musasi and strips away the crown. He was a plus 25 underdog in that fight. Eblin that was. So very impressive. So at 13-0, he's one of the most exciting prospects in Bellator, champion. Former high school state champion wrestler. He wrestled at University of Missouri. He uses his wrestling early and often. He will use it. You know some wrestlers are like a bunch of credentials they don't wrestle? Not Evelyn. He will wrestle you. He will take position control and chew up the clock on the ground. It's not the most sexy fighting style, but it works. He knows how to use his wrestling. He doesn't go away from it. He's been a decision in six of his last eight fights. Again, indicative of his fighting style, control, position on the ground, grappling, wrestling, wrestling. The only thing that you could really criticize him for is the low finish rate, but that's again, indicative of his fighting style. Elvin fights out of both stances, which can give him a bit of an advantage. I do like the fact that he could switch so easily. And with the heavy wrestling background, it's interesting he's been able to like, you know, good footwork. You know, it doesn't look like he can't strike. He looks like he can strike. And it's a part of his game where he's still young. He can develop in that area and get better. He dropped Musasi with a hard straight right hand. Matter of fact, that, when I saw it on film, I was like, whoa, wait a second. I kind of forgot the wrestler. He dropped Musasi. Musasi's, you know, Musasi's a, he's a grown man. He's tough, tough. You know, now he did it while switching stances. So we talked about switching stances before. If you can go back and watch that fight with Misasi, I forgot which round it was. It's in between switches stances. And was it right hand, left hand? I'm not sure. But he cracks Musasi, drops him. And as we mentioned before, the striking is a little bit underrated for a guy who had a strong, strong wrestling background. He's displayed punching power to knock down opponents with one shot on multiple occasions. He knocked down Daniel Madrid and also Gagard Musasi. And from a cardio perspective, he checks all the boxes. As for the Russian, Anatoly Tokov, he's a very inexperienced fighter with 30, experienced, I mean, not inexperienced. <laughs> he's a very experienced fighter with 34 total MMA fights under his belt. He has shared the cage with very good competition like Alexander Shlemkov, former Bellator champion, Ramazan Imev, who's currently in UFC, Magomed Karimov in the PFL, and Albert Dorev, also in UFC. Tokov is a balanced fighter that can do damage on the feet or the ground. Like Eblin, he has an effective offensive wrestling attack. 
but his takedown defense leaves him something. Like, put it this way, his takedown defense is not sharp. He can be taken down, and that could be a problem here against Edwin, who has pretty good wrestling, right? Tokov's preferred method of victory is to grind out his opponent on the ground until he finds a submission or technical knockout finish. He has finishes in five of his last seven wins, so a little bit more of a higher finish rate recently than Johnny Elbin. He knows how to frustrate his opponents with changing pace and pushing them up against the fence, dragging them to the ground, squashing things up. One of his most notable flaws, though, is that he leaves his chin wide open, very high up, and especially when he's trading punches, his chin's wide open. This could be a problem against a hard-hitting puncher like Elbin, who we talked about before, has the ability to knock people down. Okay. Elbin by decision is plus 145, and that's our prediction. But we would not be surprised whatsoever if he finished Tokov with a hard counter, much like he dropped Masasi with. Tokov leaves his chin wide open at times, especially when he's involved in exchanges. On the flip side, Tokov is very durable. In 34 pro fights, he has only been finished once. That one finish was 12 years ago versus Magomed Magomed Karimov. Pretty good fighter. If you combine their records, that's one loss by finish in 47 MMA fights. Yeah, if you combine their two records, right, 31 and 3 and 12 and 0, yeah, there's not many finishes there. So it would lend to believe this fight probably goes the full distance or maybe it would be hard-pressed to see a finish, right? In summary, it's likely the fight will hit the championship rounds and maybe even the scorecards. We'd like Edwin to do enough over the course of five rounds to retain his middleweight title. So he'll be end still champion, right? The betting spots we like the most for this fight are the over two and a half rounds, which sits at minus 270. Fight goes a distance at minus 155. And Edwin by decision at plus 145. That's your breakdown, guys. Remember this again. The Russian fighters, the ones with 31 and 3 records, the ones with the, the pedigree of, of Tokov, the ones that are Magomed, Karimov, Magomed, you know, Nurmagomedov, Usman, or any any of that ilk, Dagestan, they're getting money on the line. They're, they're getting a bump on the line. And that's fine. That's fine. We have to just remind ourselves of it and be aware of it. Um, it's a factor. It affects the price tag. So in this case, maybe Evelyn would be a bigger favorite, maybe like a minus 200 favorite if, if it wasn't a Russian fighter, if it was, I don't know, any other country. <laughs> uh, so from that standpoint, I do like Elbin. I, I think that Anatolov is, or Anatoly Tokov is, is a good opponent. Will, will be a good challenge. But ultimately, I think Elbin is the better fighter right now. And uh, I think he takes, the, he takes the win here by decision. That's your breakdown, boys and girls. Let's move on. We're up to the main event, guys. Ryan Bader versus Fedor Emelianko, part two. We'll give you the particulars real quick here, then go over the full breakdown, but just get out of the way. We like Ryan Bader to win the fight by a round one TKO to be and still heavyweight champion of Bellator. There's speculation Fedor will retire after this fight. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he wins and says, you know, I'll keep fighting. Or maybe he wins and retires for like a year and then comes back or, you know. Who knows? When you fought in 46 total fights, you're like in that Tom Brady category, right? Where it's like, why are you still doing it? Probably shouldn't be doing it. Probably don't have anything else to prove. But who can tell you he can't do it because he's kind of earned his right to still be doing it. And uh, it's going to be part of our breakdown here as we discuss this fight. I think I have a pretty good lean on, on why I like Ryan Bader. Anyway, the details here. So Bader's 30-7 and seven overall. 
He goes by Ryan Darth Bader. Very creative. Three and two in his last five fights. A big favorite here at minus 250, but he was opened at like minus 300 range. So he's kind of dropped down. Money's coming in on Fedor Emelianco. Bader is out of Tempe, Arizona. Former Arizona State Devil, right? Wrestled in college, high level. Maybe former national champion at one point. I, I might be off on that, but yeah, very high level wrestling skills. He's about to be 40, 39 years old in seven months. Six foot two in high with a 74 inch retain trains out of power MMA. That's Ryan Bader, the American. America. And he's fighting a Russian. So again, a lot of Russians on this card. This should be the America, America versus Russian fight card, right? I should count him up. But um, so now Fedor is a yeah, bona fide legend. We'll talk more about his background in a second here, but the basics here first. 40 and 6 overall. 4 won his last five fights. Dog here at plus 180 out of Belgorodo. Belgorod, Russia. I butchered that. He's 46, so getting up there, a little long in the tooth, about seven years older than Bader. He's six foot in height, a little shorter than Bader, and has 76 inch reach, a little bit longer arms than than Bader. And he's out of Alexander Nevsky. And there's a handful of fighters in his car that are out of that gym. It's a very good gym. All right, let's talk business here. So Ryan Bader by round one knockout is the prediction. Bader won their first fight by a round one knockout. So I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, obviously. I'm going to talk more about that first fight, though, in a second. It's never easy to pick against a legend like Fedor. Two reasons. One, he is a likable legend. He's a guy who, you know, he's not an asshole from, from all... Intensive purposes. Seems like a guy who's likable, cares about the sport, been around for a long time, has had moments. The guy's, you know, beaten some, you know, pretty good fighters and has fought in some high level promotions. And in his prime, you know, he was a hell of a good fighter, period. That's the way to put it, right? If this fight gets past run, I'm sorry, if this fight gets past round one, Fader may tap out like just due to exhaustion. Though. That's the problem here now for Fader. He could win the fight in like the first half of round one. Once we get past that point, it's just going to be no mas. I, I don't see how 46-year-old Fader, who's had durability issues in recent fights and also showed some cardio issues, is going to get through round two and three. You know, so it's amazing, though, after what, almost 40, 46 total fights, almost 50 total fights, right? That he's only lost six times. I mean, think about that, 40 and six. There's people with records like 12 and 6 in the UFC. This guy is 40 and 6. Not great that we're not talking the UFC, all those fights, but still, at his age, he's 46 and he's 40 and 6. <laughs> Amazing, right? For Fader, he might be past his athletic prime in terms of like physicality, but still very dangerous, still smart as hell, has a lot of experience, does a lot of coaching now, spends most of his time coaching, actually. He'll have a slight reach advantage in this fight, about two inches. And he has fought everywhere. Ryzen, Bellator, M1, Strikeforce, and Pride. From 2003 to 2007, he was the Pride heavyweight champion. And if you don't know back then, that meant something. Pride was at one point bigger than UFC. You know, they were, they were up there. He has obviously championship level experience in Sambo and Judo. He has notable wins over people like Andre Arlovsky, Gagar Musasi, Shell Sonnen, Quentin Jackson. Nowadays, he focuses most of his attention on coaching, like I mentioned before. He doesn't train full-time or year-round like he used to. He's had several talented fighters under his tutelage in the last few years, fighters that he's dedicating a lot of time to traveling, training them. So he's not staying in shape, basically. He's not like staying up on his 
trading like he used to. It wouldn't be surprising if he decides to retire on the spot after this fight, whether he wins or loses. Most people speculate he's already planning to retire. And if you figure he comes in, plan to just fight one round, five round fight, doesn't go his way. I think he just says, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> ready to go. Um, it's hard to imagine that Fader will be able to go beyond round one. I said it before. I just don't think he's going to have the cardio. His last six fights have not reached round two, just to give you an idea. His last four wins have been round one knockouts. That he could do. He could knock out people in round one. And and with, with Bader, Bader's shown to have, give me a little chinny sometimes. You know, Nemkov knocked the hell out of him. <laughs> that was when they were light heavyweights, right? So I think either Fader finishes him in round one or just gasses out trying. Bader has been finished in two of his last five fights. And there we go again. So he can be a little bit chinny. Fader has the proverbial puncher's chance in this matchup. The old... Wiley veteran, right? Can maybe catch him with an uppercut or something. It's safe to say that Fader will look to test Bader's chin early. And if he can't get it, he's going to pack it in and just be too tired. Now, for Ryan Bader, who's attempting to, de attempting to defend his title, excuse me, his heavyweight title for the second time, he's the former Bellator light heavyweight champion as well. So he's held two different titles in the division. He lacks traditional heavyweight knockout power, though, right? So he's been a decision in his last three wins. So Bader is not the kind of guy who usually knocks out people. He has solid cardio, which may be a significant factor in this fight. That could be one way he earns a TKO over Fedor is not by knocking him out in the traditional sense, just wearing him out, being on top of him, and just you know clubbing him on the ground, and eventually Fedor just doesn't return fire, right? For Bader, his safest path to victory would just be to extend the fight, make this a three-round fight, make it a two-round fight, extend it, weaponize the cardio, wear out Fedor. That would be the smartest move, smart move, easy win for him. If he could drag Fader to round two or three, he's got him. It's easy to overlook Ryan Bader, though. You see, people forget that he won the ultimate fighter. He had a respectable run in the UFC. He left the UFC for greener pastures, not because he couldn't cut in the UFC. He was doing just fine there. Now, since signing to Bellator, he's earned the heavyweight title and light heavyweight title. I mean, pretty impressive run, right? He fought Fader back in 2019, their first fight, where he earned a round one knockout. A guy, Fedor Emelianko, who's only had six total losses in his entire career, and, Fe and Bader knocked him out in round one. Now, granted, that's that's the Fedor getting older, but that's still, what, four years ago, right? Four years ago? Back then, Fedor was 42. Some people will say 42 is plenty young for heavyweight. You know what I'm saying? It was an impressive win. Now, looking back at how the win happened, look at the actual film. Look at it. It's on YouTube. Don't trust me. I'm going to describe to you what I saw. That was a real short, soft left hand from Bader that knocked out Emelianco. It was not a hard punch. And remember, Bader's not known for his knockout power. There's no way that punch knocks out Fedor seven, eight years ago. No way whatsoever. Fader is just simply getting older. You know, Cowboy Cerrone, right? Cowboy Cerrone, the last four or five fights, just bet against him every single time. You know why? Because the chin was gone. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. I mean, uh, once it goes, it goes. And it feels like once the chin goes, there's no amount of rest that you can do to get it back. Uh, Marlon Marais, right? Last few fights in the UFC, nice what PFL. When the chin goes, it goes. And for Fader, I think in the moment when he got knocked out by 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 Ryan Fader, Ryan Bader in their first fight, 2019, with a soft left hook, I rewinded it like ten times and said to myself, "Damn, did that barely hit him?" 
And yeah, it's a short, small little left hook. Even Ryan Bader, after he hit him, was like, oh, wow, he's going down? So, yeah. That, to me, was the bigger issue. It wasn't that he got knocked out. Guys get knocked out. Finished, whatever. It was how it happened. And to me, I think if I think if Ryan hits him with anything significant, Bader goes, a fader goes down. If the fight somehow gets into round number two, I think that Ryan just simply just wears him out and then eventually Fader, not that he taps, but just can't take any more punishment and the fight will be over. So that's my analysis, guys. I feel like this fight's in Ryan's court. Uh, I do want to suggest one thing, though. Okay, one little narrative side sidetrack here. If you're writing some narratives and if you're the, you know, Bellator and you want to, I don't know, add some spice to things, Fader winning the title would be super exciting. And then maybe they could have a rematch in like seven, eight months. And then Ryan would whoop his ass again for one last time. I don't know, just, just because. But then the flip side is if Fader were to win, he could in essence, I wouldn't say hijack, but maybe hold up the heavyweight division by demanding a longer layoff, not being sure if he's going to retire or then just saying, I'm still going to retire either way. So like, here's the belt right back, Ryan Bader. I don't know. Anything of that nature could happen. Um, but I think Ryan was the fight. Last few thoughts here. So Bader seems like the logical pick, but it is a heavyweight bout. Puncher's chance, a veteran like Emilienko. Uh Some people might think it's sacrilegious even to go against Fedor here because he is the, the, the Wiley veteran, right? But the pick's going to be Ryan Bader by technical knockout in round one. If your book offers the round one prop for Fader, like Fader, Emilienko to, to win the fight in round one by knockout, and it's nice and juicy, Look at it. That's how he's won his last, what, four or five fights. And does go to round two. You know what I mean? So if he's going to win the fight, it's going to be in round one by, you know, catching Ryan with something, right? It's unlikely, but that's, you know, that's just what it would be his path to victory. The betting spots we like for this fight the most are the fight going under one and a half rounds. That's minus 270. And Bader into the distance at minus 210. That's your breakdown for the main event of Bellator 290. Good luck with this fight. All right, boys and girls, this brings us to the end of the episode. Let me give you a rundown of our full picks for every single fight on the card. If you're watching this as part of our Swift Picks video, this will be our Swift Picks here for Bellator 290. At the top, we'll start off with Ryan Bader to win over Fedor Emelianenko, Johnny Eblen to win, Saba Hamasi to win, Neiman Gracie to win, Lorenz Larkin to win, Ahmed Magomed off to win, Steve Mary to win, Chris Gonzalez to win, Grant Neal, Diana Absaragova to win over Alejandro Lara, Darian Caldwell to win, we're to go with uh, Jornel Lugo to win, Peter Ishiguro to win, and Ethan Hughes to win. So those are your winners that we're predicting to win on Bellator 290. If you were paying attention there, we got a handful of dogs. Starting off at the top here, we've got uh, Lorenz Larkin. He's going to be around a plus 185 underdog. We like him over Berkamoff. We like Grant Neal at plus 125 to beat Carl Albrechtson. We also like Peter Ishiguro as a big underdog at plus 390 to really test Isaiah Hokit, two wrestlers there. And the first fight in the card is Ethan Hughes, who opened as a favorite, but now sitting at plus 120, we're going to take a stab at him as an underdog as well. And the main card, even though we like all the favorites at Eblen, Hamasi, and Bader, the numbers will usually suggest to you that someone drops the ball, right? So you can't just parlay a bunch of favorites and hope for the best. Uh, usually somebody ends up dropping the ball. So the spots we like the most for this card, the ones we have the most confident in, we like Johnny Eblen a lot on the main card. Even though he's minus 215, this kid's got the tools. We like him a lot to win that fight. On the premium card, we like Ahmed Magomedov a lot against Henry Corrales. 
then maybe one more pick. What else do we like a lot here? Another confident pick. I would say Neiman Gracie. I just think that even though I have my trepidation about betting on him and he's left me hanging in the past, I think he's getting a freebie there by Bellator wanting to set him up and get him back in the wing comp. So that's your breakdown, ladies and gentlemen, for Bellator 290 coming up this Saturday, the 4th of February with the 6 p.m. Eastern start time. The event's being held in Inglewood, California. It got me to thinking for the old Lakers fans out there, Inglewood is where they used to play. They used to play, and I, I think this is the actual the arena, uh, the same arena, the Forum, the Kia a Forum. It's sponsored by Kia, but the Forum, which is where the Lakers used to play, they used to have a nightclub in the basement and stuff, and whatever you have to. That, I'm going back in time now, but back in the time of the Showtime Lakers in the '80s and Magic Johnson, Kareem, they used to play right there before they ended up moving them to their new arena there in downtown that they're sharing with the Clippers. Eh, I'm kind of showing my age. Anyway, the fight's being held in Inglewood. A lot of fighters from the West Coast, a lot of Russian fighters, a lot of Americans versus Russian fighters, 14 total bouts. That's your full card breakdown. Tune in on Saturday at 6 p.m. Only problem is going to be if you're watching UFC, it's going to be like, ah, what are you going to do here? What time is UFC on Saturday? Let me look it up for you guys before I break out of here. UFC will be at 10 o'clock? Really? Okay, well, in that case, then you are going to have some time to watch it because UFC Fight Night will be taking place at 10 o'clock p.m. That's a very late start time, but I'm down for that. So that's great. All right. So you have time to swing in some Bellator before UFC. Good luck with this, guys. Let me know what you guys think. Feedback. Like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to our podcast. Check out our interviews. And God bless to you guys. Deuces. Deuces.